a sermon series right now called Love God, Love People, The Heart of Discipleship. And so in this series, we've been discussing the greatest commandment in scripture and how it shapes the lives of the believers. So today we're going to be studying out of Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, if everyone can turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you, so feel free to borrow that. If you don't have one in your home, please take that copy of the scriptures with you as a gift from us to you today. So anyone that is able, please go ahead and stand, and we will um, read starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Hear the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? All right, once again, welcome to Providence. Uh, My name is Eric Ripley. If you don't know me, uh, I currently serve as the Director of Assimilation and Discipleship here, and I'm excited to be with you uh, in this series. Um, So like she said, we're in Acts uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Uh, I just want to go ahead and pray for us, uh, and then we'll dive into the Word. So if you guys bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this time to talk about your Word, uh, and God, to prayerfully have our eyes open to your Word so that we could be changed. God, we long uh, to be a people who genuinely love you with all of our hearts, and God, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what you've commanded us to do. So God, as we talk about what that looks like today in the context of community, I pray that you would not only convict us of where we have sinned, but God, you would encourage us in your gospel, uh, and you would teach us how to better be your body so that we could... Uh, display your glory and your love to the world. And so, God, to that end, we pray, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, make us hungry for your word, and give us ears to hear it, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So, as uh, Jenna had mentioned, we have been in this series, and for the first part and majority of the series, we've talked about uh, this great commandment to love God, love people, and what that looks like in the individual disciple's life, uh, and also how that plays out in the context of community. Uh, And so last week, um, Joe began to talk about, uh, really in the context of our home groups, uh, which we we believe are uh, one of the main ways in which we actually engage in, in community as believers. We always say that if you're just coming on Sunday, that you are probably missing out on a lot of the the depth and joy that God has for you in the Christian community. Uh, And so in our home groups, we believe that, like Joe said last week, that it's not just a weekly meeting or a bi-weekly meeting that we have, but it is a a, a network of relationships that we have in which we uh, are the body of Christ one to another. Uh, And so it's a beautiful thing that we do. And so discipleship uh, at its basic form is not just an individual thing. It is that for sure. Uh, I don't want to project that you won't be responsible for your individual discipleship to the Lord. It's definitely an individual thing between you 
and God. Just as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in The Cost of Discipleship that uh, basically God calls a man out by himself and, and bids him come and die. And so uh, when you're called to be a disciple, it is an individual thing. But discipleship is something that is definitely a community project, right? It's something that happens in the context of the community of the people of God. And so it's not something that's just individual. Um, Joe said last week that God has always desired a community of people to demonstrate and declare his love to the world. And so it's always, he's desired always a community of people, not just a bunch of individuals that are scattered. And so it's important um, that we look at discipleship in light of that. And so uh, we started walking through, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's sermon, I would get online and do that because uh, last week's sermon, today's sermon, and next week's sermon are all kind of tied together in the same theme of what we're walking through. Um, so what we did is in talking about like home groups, uh, we talked about basically six uh, plumb lines, if you will, or signs of health and vitality that we had set out as a church to say, if we are doing these six things, then this is a good sign of health that we are doing what we are called to do uh, in the scriptures. And so here's what they, here's what they are. Uh, these are all based out of Acts 2, uh, verses 42 through 47, which I believe is a great picture, maybe not an exhaustive list of everything that we should do in community, but a great picture of uh, when the people of God are gripped by the gospel of God, how they naturally, like their flex, like their reaction uh, on how they live with one another is a great picture. So these are the six things we're talking about. The first one is prayer, which was talked about last week. Another one is devotion to the truth, which was also mentioned last week. It's kind of tied together in the sermon there. Uh, today we're covering uh, celebrating the goodness of God together, so celebration, and then also care, so caring for one another as the body of Christ. So we're talking about care and celebration today. And the other two are outreach, so reaching out to our neighbors and the world, and then also hospitality, so being a people that are hospitable. Um, and so today, yeah, we're talking about uh, uh, being a community that is devoted to Caring for one another and celebrating the goodness of God. So that's where we're going. Let the cat out of the bag. Um, and I'm excited. And then obviously our hope is that in practicing these things, not that these things in, some, in themselves, just doing them is going to make us the best community ever, but in practicing these things and being a part of a community that is actually shaped and formed by these things, that we would grow in our love for God and our love for one another that we would grow in discipleship, that we would be being formed and be more like Christ as we live out the design that he has for us in the context of community. So my prayer today is that you would leave excited to be the church, that you leave excited to be devoted to the good of one another, right? That's how we define home groups. It's a, it's a uh, I wrote it down so I don't say it wrong. Um, somewhere here, I promise. Maybe it's not, maybe I didn't put that. Um, anyway, so basically we're missional communities. I'm going to butcher this now. Uh, we are missional, uh, missional communities that are made of disciples that are devoted uh, to the gospel of Jesus, the good of one another, uh, or the growth of one another, and the good of our neighbors in the context of everyday life. So that's what we want to do as home groups. That was pretty, pretty close, all right? Um, and so um, I hope you're excited to do that, excited to be that. And, and I hope that as we kind of point out not only what we're called to do, and caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens, uh, and, and also celebrating the goodness of God that I hope in, in the midst of that, that it would be something that just encourages us, that we could see that. And also see that why we struggle to do that, because there's definitely some sin habits and bents that we have that cause us not to want to be that. 
or at least not to do that, even though we may want to be that. And so I hope that maybe Christ will deliver us from some of those things today in his word, by his word. Um, so let's talk about what that looks like together. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, caring for God's people and celebrating God's goodness displays God's love. Let me read that one more time. Um, caring for God's people and celebrating God's goodness displays God's love. So let's look at Acts. So uh, we're looking at Acts 2, 42 through 47. How I view the text and how I kind of see it unfolding is verse 42 is basically an explanation of what was going on. And then verse 43 through 47 is an expounding of verse 42. So verse 42, if you look at the text there, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so um, in context that I want to look at really and mainly uh, what it looks like to be devoted to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Uh, and so if you go down to verse 44, let's just get a glimpse of what's going on. I know she just read it. I'm going to try not to be too repetitive in reading the text, but just for context, it says this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So one thing is that they were together. So if you try to be a lonesome Christian, it just doesn't work. You have to be together to actually do this, okay? You can't just be on Facebook together to actually do this, but you have to physically be together to do this. So that's important. Um, but what we see here, and this is pretty crazy, but it says they had all things in common. Now what that doesn't mean is that they shared all the same hobbies, it doesn't mean they all liked the Astros and they all liked yoga. And so they could watch the Astros and do yoga together. And that's what really tied them together. Okay. I just learned the other day that there's this thing called hot yoga. All right. Where you basically get into a sauna and do yoga. It sounds really exciting. But that is not what was going on here. Okay. There was something deeper. Okay. When it says common, which actually the, the same, shares the same root word with fellowship there in the original language. And so um, it was that they had definitely something in common, but it wasn't their hobbies. It was something much deeper. It was something uh, of who they were, right? And we understand that to be that it was the grace of God, right? That made them have, when it says all things in common, which played out to them being open-handed with their possessions in their very lives, and so it was, we had this commonality of God has saved us in his grace through the death of Jesus on the cross. Therefore, we are now not married to our things, our stuff, and our lives, but we now freely give those because Christ had freely given his life. And so there was this radical um, change that happened within them that made them have all things in common. It was this, uh, they went from being a people who were gripped by the stuff that they had and the lives that they lived by being a, a, a people who were gripped by the God of the gospel and, and therefore not gripped anymore by the stuff that they had and the lives that they lived. This is a big deal. It's a big change, right? It wasn't just that they believed intellectually that they were saved and going to heaven, but their whole uh, paradigm of uh, what possessions were and what their life was and what they valued was, was flipped upside down. So they used to be protective of their stuff. They used to be trying to build a life for themselves, but now they were uh, protective of other people's lives. There was a change that happened in their hearts and in their desires and in their wants for other people. So you went from being possessed, uh, or not possessed, but obsessed with my needs, my wants, to being obsessed with other people's needs, other people's wants. And that is a big switch. And when that happens, it looks very different than probably the common community that we see today. So there was, I mean, they were just, they were selling it. You need a car? Here's my car. 
You need some money? I'll sell my property. I'll sell something and I'll, I'll give it to you because genuinely I care about your needs. This is crazy and this is radical, but this is the reaction they had in light of the gospel that they believed in. That should be eye-opening to us. That should help us to focus a little bit on what's going on here. Now, it doesn't mean that as Christians we can't own anything because that would be unspiritual because obviously a few verses later they were meeting in homes and they were breaking bread together. So someone owned a home, right? Because that's how they were meeting together. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to just get rid of everything but it does mean that you can't hold anything tightly uh, because um, there may be a need that we have to fill. And we should be excited to fill that need. It should be desires, right? As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, that they were uh, basically begging him for an opportunity to give to the needs of the saints, right? That's pretty cool. Um, so it's something that has changed that they wanted to do. And um, God has uh, designed that. So it's really cool. We also see continuing in verse uh, 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what we see here is not only are they just kind of giving their stuff away, but as they begin to... uh, make a habit of day by day attending temple together, meeting in homes, breaking bread, sharing meals. I think breaking bread could be definitely partaking in communion and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, but could also be just sharing a meal together, right? Just having some Chick-fil-A and enjoying one another's company, but not on Sunday because, you know, that's, that's when Chick-fil-A is closed. Um, it's all when you always want it to. It's the worst. Uh, but basically, you know, they, they were just, they were happy, right? There was a joy about them that it, was, it wasn't that there was anything bad going on. There was obviously a lot of needs and all things happening, but they were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God. I love that line. It's like as they are receiving the blessings and celebrating in and basking in the goodness of God in their lives, there was a gladness and who God is for them, and there was also a generosity that overflowed because of that. And these are tied hand in hand. When there's a gratefulness, when there's a gladness of God and his blessing, there is also a free flowing of generosity. There's no such thing as, oh God, I'm so happy you blessed me, I'm so glad you give me all these things, and then a stinginess on this end when someone has need, right? There's a warning in the Bible that says when someone has a need, don't say, oh, that's, that's good, come back tomorrow and I'll give that to you. No, give it. You have it. Give it away. There's a generosity that overflows, right, out of the people of God. And so God has always designed us to be that way. I mean, you look at the Old Covenant. If you look at the Levitical law, there were, like, so many things about God's people celebrating, right? There were literally seven feasts every year that you had to participate in. And if you didn't, God was angry. And God would send his wrath on you because you weren't celebrating the feast that God had set out to do. God's people were constantly celebrating the, the fact that he had rescued them multiple times all throughout their history, and they were celebrating the fact uh, of God's goodness, God's grace that was poured out on them to be his people. And so how much more so on this end of the cross, when we get the f- almost like full picture of the gospel, right? The mystery that the Gentiles have been invited in, how much more so do we have reason to celebrate, right? To celebrate the goodness of God, to rejoice in the goodness of God. And I'm not just talking about the gospel. I think that's the main thing we rejoice in. That's the main thing that sustains our joy. But even in the small things, right? We can celebrate together. We can be happy for one another when God is blessing one another because um, we have this about ourselves. Where as we receive blessings, there's a generosity and a gladness about us. And so we should be a people that celebrate. And we want our home groups, this community, to be marked by that. Okay? It can seem holy, to be somber most of the time. 
And if you're anything like me, I like a good hymn that sounds very sad. Like that's just kind of the music I like. I don't know why. But I feel happy when I'm singing it, but I just don't look happy, right? But um, we, th- there is uh, not necessarily a holiness in just being somber all the time, but there, there's also a holiness in being celebratory, being happy, rejoicing in the small things of life, that we get to laugh, that we get to have family, that we get to share uh, together. And so this is important. We want to be marked by this, uh, and I pray that we are. So we have much to celebrate. And so I, I would make the argument, okay, that as we... Uh, do this in the context of community as members of the body of Christ, as we uh, care for one another, as we are generous about one another's needs and what we have and giving to those things. We're aware of those things as we're celebrating the goodness of God. I I am convinced that this is the way in which we display the glory and love of God to the world. Uh, And as Joe mentioned again, sorry I keep referring to his sermon. It was just really good. A lot of the truths he pulled out about community last week. Um, But uh, as Jesus even prays in the high, uh, high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, basically, and I'm not quoting this uh, verbatim, but basically because of the love that we have one for another, that, that people will be able to look in and see that and, and know that God has loved us, right? And God has loved them. Like, that's a big deal. He says, when they look in at the community and they see these kind of things happening and the love that you have for one another, this displays God's love in a unique way that you preaching to someone maybe can't or uh, other things. And so it is kind of words that are spoken. Now, I'm all about speaking the gospel, but this is another way in which we display that. So um, to put a little more context to this, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, there's a portion of scripture starting in verse 26 here that I think gives us some insight on maybe what this looks like ground level for us as believers. And here's what it says, starting in verse um, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so in the context of what's happening here, Paul's beginning to talk about spiritual gifts. He's beginning to talk about how there are uh, some people in the body. We're all members of the body of Christ. There's some people in the body that maybe are more elevated uh, or maybe seem stronger or seem more important. There's other people that seem weaker. Maybe they're the more hidden kind of parts that we have. Um, but everyone all together working together is equally as important as a part of the body of Christ. And so in this context, he's saying, since we're all a part of the body, when one part of the body suffers, everyone suffers together. And when one part of the body's honored, the whole body rejoices together. It's kind of like stubbing a toe, right? In that moment when you hit your toe and you're not expecting it, the whole body suffers in that moment, right? It's like, let's say you feel it. Um, and so we are individually members of Christ's body. So when one member suffers, we all suffer together. When a member of the body of Christ is suffering, experiencing loss, experiencing sickness, is hurting, has material need, is spiritually struggling, has fallen into sin, we experience that suffering in a real and tangible way with the other members of the body of Christ. So there's no room here, I think, for numbness, okay, to other parts of the body, other members of the body. There's a real and tangible way in which we experience the suffering of one another, and it's designed to be that way by God, but it's also a beautiful thing. And so, and we also don't merely just feel the suffering, but in that we are moved with compassion to step into that suffering and actually do something about it. And so we give, we pray, we remind one another of the truth, as we talked about last week. We um, believe with them when they're having struggle believing, etc. right? Like we actually step into it. We're moved with compassion. And so God through us brings comfort and faith to other members. 
This is important. So you're not just coming to church because you're suffering and everyone else has to feel your suffering. So we definitely want that to happen, right? Uh, but also, you are feeling other people's suffering and you are moved with compassion. There's not one person that is a part of a local body or that is Christian for that matter that is free from this. All of us must be moved with compassion as the body suffers. Whether that's a member you don't even know hardly that well, whether that's someone you don't even like that much, you are part of the same body. And you can't say to the other person, you're not important, right? Because they, they are. And so that's important. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in his book, Life Together. He said, the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. I think that's awesome, right? So the believer is encouraged as if they were encouraged by the very presence of the triune God when they are encouraged by you, when they are supported by you, when your compassion overflows into a wealth of generosity for them. It is as if they are experiencing, because they are through you, the love of God for them, the compassion of God for them. Now that brings a whole new weight into praying about how we can be more active in the body, right? Into praying about how can we bear one another's burdens well? How can we live as the body of Christ? How can we suffer as they suffer? That should bring a joyful weight to us in the way we think about that. We shouldn't be flippant about these things. We're called to these things, right? We're called to encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. We have part in the body of Christ from the newest believer to the most aged believer. We have this responsibility and it should be encouraging to us that we get to do that. And so, but not only do we relate in the sufferings, which is important, but also in the joys, right? So when one part of the body is honored, we rejoice. Now, I love this because we all get to rejoice together. And so if someone is lifted up for something, then we should actually feel genuinely elated and joyful and get to rejoice with them. Like actually emotionally connected to that joy, okay? That's not just a thumbs up on Facebook. It is more than that, right? And I'm not anti-Facebook by any means, but there's difference between just kind of seeing a post like, oh, that's cool, and then just scrolling by and never thinking of it again, right? There's actually genuine joy we take in the joys of others. So whether they're lifted up, whether someone's having a baby or getting recognized for something or they've received an answer to prayer or you can fill in the blank, whatever that is, our response should be, wow, God is good in that moment. That's awesome. God's been good to you. I rejoice in that fact with you. Not, oh man, that should have been me, right? Like, isn't that our instinct? We're going to talk about that in a minute when we get to the kind of why we struggle to do this. But, um, you know, our instinct sometimes is like we actually kind of get happy in the suffering. We're like backwards, right? Like we get happy in the suffering. That's when we rejoice because then we're elevated. And then it's the opposite. When the rejoicing happens, we kind of feel like we're suffering, right? We kind of get sad in that moment that it wasn't us or we didn't get to experience the same life as someone else had. And so now we've got to make up for it by going and post how good our life is on Facebook, even if it's not, because now we got to kind of elevate ourselves because they got promoted. Now we have to promote ourselves, this weird thing that we do sometimes in the body of Christ. And so uh, may that not be true among us. May we have the actual maturity to say, man, I, I am excited for you. I rejoice in God. Even in my suffering, I rejoice in God for the goodness that he has displayed in your life right now. And we are able to do that. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but um, you know, the Bible says that we are, are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And so we have this unique ability as a people of God to be absolutely sorrowful yet always ready to rejoice with our brother in Christ, or our sister in Christ. And that's a big deal. Um, so in doing both of these things, by having a deep care for the needs 
and sufferings in one another, and by having a deep joy and sense of celebration in the genuine goodness of God, whether that's in the gospel or whether that's in um, something that happened in someone's life that's exciting, we show God's love to be compelling and glorious. There's something otherworldly when we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And when I say like rejoicing with someone and being happy, I'm not talking about this like, you know, sometimes we have this like flippant attitude like, yeah, it's good, everything's gonna work out, it's fine, right? But there's difference between just always being happy. Like, you know, as Christians, we kind of feel this necessity. Like, if I show that I'm sad, then I'm not being a good Christian, right? Because Paul tells me to always rejoice. But there is something real and authentic that I think looks more appetizing to the world uh, than just everything being okay all the time, which is I can be absolutely sorrowful, but in the midst of that, I can absolutely rejoice. You know, I think there's something different. There's something compelling about that. There's something attractive uh, to a lost and dying world about that community. And so uh, we don't have to shuck off our feelings in the name of joy. We should be able to feel even more deeply in both of those things. So it's kind of like we're uh, schizophrenic in a way, I guess, but not spiritually schizophrenic. You know, you get a t-shirt that says that. It would be really, really good, I think. Um, so yeah, uh, the second, second thing I want to talk about is our... Um, just going to point to you a little bit, but I think this is good to talk about... Um, our self-centeredness keeps us from truly caring and celebrating in the body of Christ. So there's probably many things that factor into this. What you've suffered in life, I know, has a big deal on how you interact with people. There's a lot of things that we could talk about. But I, I just figured, in kind of talking about how we relate to one another, um, I think our self-centeredness, our pride, is probably the number one inhibitor. And this works out in a few different ways. I'm going to explain in a moment. But um, I want to let the text do that. So let's turn to Philippians 2. You guys knew I was going there, um, but that's good. Um, so let's go there and look at what it says. I'm just going to start in verse 1, uh, and we'll read to about verse 4, and then we'll stop and talk about it for a minute. Um, so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, and having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. So when I look at this, I think because we've experienced God's love in Christ, because we have uh, partook, uh, partaken, I guess what you would say, in the Spirit together, um, we can now live out these things that we're called to do, right? We want one mind, one accord, one love, which I think is just another beautiful explanation of what's happening in Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. So because of those things, because we've tasted the love of God, because we've known His goodness, we now can can love one another in a beautiful way. Verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so, um, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's a, that's a weighty command that we have in the text, right? And I think Paul is getting, he is telling us that there can be a deeply embedded selfish ambition, or if you have the older version of the SV, it may say rivalry, which is basically an unhealthy competition to make yourself greater, uh, and a conceit that actually uh, motivates us in how we interact with the body and how we interact with the people of God. And so there, there can be, as a Christian, it's obvious that, that I think that the non-believer would act this way because what else are you living for, Right. But even for the Christian, there is a way in which we could have a deeply embedded self-ambition and conceit that motivates our very actions with one another, that motivates how we care for one another, that motivates how we rejoice in the goodness of God. And that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. Um, 
So it causes, basically, it causes us to count ourselves as more significant than others. Just think about that for a second. You probably wouldn't say that out loud, but we have something in us that can cause us to interact with people in such a way that we count ourselves as more significant. We are more important. My dad always told me that um, the reason why we get so offended is because we think we actually deserve to be treated differently, right? That's why we get offended, because we felt like we deserved something that we didn't get, right? And so that, that's why we're offended. But if we understood what we deserved, right, I think we'd be a lot less maybe uh, quick uh, to be offended in what happens. So the encouragement now, in light of this truth, is let each one of you look not only to his own interest. That's going to happen. By nature, you want to look to your own interest, but, but don't stop there. If you stop there, that's weak, right? If you stop there, that is petty. But not only look to your own interest, but look, look, consider, think about, and desire the interest of others, which is what we saw in Acts 2 that was happening. It's like looking at my, my four-year-old when my two-year-old won't share with him, right? And he just sucker punches him or something like that because he's so angry they don't want to share his toy. And I just want to look at my four-year-old and say, dude, he's two, right? Like he can't even say his name yet, okay? He's not going to understand how to share the toy with you like you understand how to share the toy. And so in the same way, I think that Paul is looking at us and saying, dude, right? Or do debt, whatever. Um, it's a real word, okay? It's true. Um, Sorry, that's off on a tangent. But he's looking at saying, come on, man. Don't just look at yourself, right? Look to the interests of others. Other people have needs. Other, this is basic maturity. Take Christianity out of the equation. This is just basic human. You're expected to do this in society, right? How much more so in the body of Christ should we not be selfish, but looking to the interest, considering the interests of others, enjoying meeting other people's needs and their interest over ours. There is a joy in that, right? That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's not just material. That's in every single way in your life that you could give and receive. You're happier if you give. That's how you were designed if you're living that way. And so <laughs> it's better, right? The, the cool thing is that we, we should know better and we should not be self-focused because we've been freed from that in the gospel. The gospel has freed us from self-motivated, self-absorbed, selfish ambition. We've been freed from that. That's one of the beauties of the gospel is that we've now been, been, been lifted away from that and, and into considering one another's needs. And so not only that, but I think we would all agree that we live in a culture that is self-protective, that is self-promoting, right? And you can look at this in so many spheres. I think the easiest one, which you've probably gotten the hint, I'm in no way against social media, okay? There's a book about it out at the Connect booth that you should check out, all right? Shameless plug. Um, but... You can see that. I mean, think about what happens in social media, right? I mean, not everyone does this, right? You could have a, we could have a post. It's about the heart, right? You could have a post that says the same exact thing from two different people, and one could be totally God-glorifying, totally connecting with the community in a good way, right, that's based in healthy relationships you have outside of Facebook. And you can also have that same post that is totally based out of self-promotion. And what we see a lot on Facebook and Instagram and all these things is self-promotion, right? Like you, you just, we long to promote ourselves greater than we are, right? We want to project strength when there's weakness. Um, and so we tend to do that, even if you're someone who boycotts social media altogether, uh, like myself often, um, you can even in that be self-promoting because you just love to tell people that you don't get on social media because you're not self-promoting, Right? I mean, there's no way of escaping this, right? Like, either way, you're going to do it. We live in a culture that, that does this. Like, we, we take pride in 
that, we have this obsession with creating an image of ourselves in whatever form you can do. That might be the way you look, spending too, too long in the mirror. You, you can name a thousand different things. You're trying to image yourself in such a way. But um, we spend much unneeded energy trying to create a good image of ourselves when we already are the image of God himself. That's something to consider, right? We spend an awful amount of time trying to create an image that's already there because of who we are in Christ Jesus and what we are created to do and be. And so we don't have to waste our time there. We can spend our energy now looking to the interest of others. Um, so what does this look like? I got two, two things. There's many things I, I could mention, but I want to put just a little bit of um, handles on this. And so I got two things. This kind of plays itself out in the context of uh, celebration and in the context of caring. So instead of caring uh, for members of Christ's body who are suffering and feeling that suffering and being moved to compassion for them in their suffering, we find ways to numb ourselves or avoid that compassion, right? Here's what I mean by that. Um, if we actually felt compassion for someone suffering, uh, not only would we be forced to experience the suffering ourselves, but we are now obligated to do something about it, right? Like if you see a problem, that now becomes your problem, okay? You can't say, oh, saw that, and I gotta walk away, right? Like, oh, something bad happening, I gotta look the other, other way. And we do that often, we try to do that, whatever means necessary we try to avoid feeling that because we know we're going to be compelled to do something about it and that my friend is uncomfortable right because now you might be in a situation where I don't even know what to do right I'm in that situation all the time like you someone experienced suffering you're like what do I even do like there's no clear biblical command for this that I can think of right now I don't even know how to meet them in their suffering but the point is that you're, com you're compelled to do something you must act because you have compassion for that situation and so whether it's to give something up to meet a financial or material need for someone or spend time with someone uh, who's experiencing deep loss or speak the truth in love as they are suffering because of their own sin, uh, it's just uncomfortable and we want to avoid that discomfort. And I would say, on the other hand, we can also be self-centered in receiving that too, right? On the receiving end, it's like we're once again wanting to promote ourselves. We have this selfish ambition where we're about our own interests and so instead of actually reaching out to the community, uh, to help us in time of need, we'd rather refrain from letting that need be known uh, because we don't want to look weaker than them, right? We don't want to look like a weaker part of the body. We want to be a stronger part of the body. And so in that same way, that self-centeredness could flip on itself and you can't receive. We should be good at giving and good at receiving when it's necessary, right? It's like if you're dying of thirst, you should be able to receive a drink of water with some dignity, right? Like I need this. I can't, I can't escape this. It's not like, oh, I'm fine. It's like if you ever seen uh, Monty Python, right, in the Holy Grail, where he's just getting, I'm sorry, if you, it's a kind of bad movie, I guess, I can't really remember, it's been a while, all right, uh, it's been like two weeks, I can't remember everything that's going into that movie, but when he's getting cut off, right, he's getting, he's getting his arms cut off, everything, and he keeps saying it's a mere flesh wound, he's still trying to fight, right, it's like we act like that sometimes with the body of Christ, and instead of saying, hey, my arms and legs are cut off, I think I should stop now, right, like we continue to try to fight, and it's just, it's not necessary, um, we should be able to receive. There is a, a, a humility in that that is, that is also God-glorifying really good. Um, but like I said, I think we try to avoid the, uh, avoid the sufferings and discomfort of other people. It's just easier, right? It's easier. Um, I was thinking about some bad analogies like, you know, giving people that are begging on the streets and things like that. But I, I just want to say like, we do that, right? It's our tendency. Not only that, but instead of celebrating the goodness of God in the gospel and in the honorings of our fellow members of the body of Christ, we feel envious of others and ungrateful uh, of God's love. And, and so instead of being celebratory in that, we kind of, we envy one another and we become ungrateful. Um, so how does this happen? It is one thing to be compassionate 
about other people's sufferings because what's happening in a sense, not really, but seemingly, you are condescending to them, right? Like seemingly you're in a place of strength and you are helping someone in weakness, right? When you're having sufferings. But when you flip that and someone's being elevated and someone's being honored, it's much harder to uh, be the person in the lower seat, if you will, right? It's much harder to be that person that's not elevated. When you're elevating and helping, it's, 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 it's easier. But when someone else is elevated, it's much harder for us. And so, um, yeah, when someone's honored, it's hard. So we become envious of their joy <laughs> that the goodness of God has given them. And that's an unhealthy place to be. And this ever just ever fuels our self-promotion as well. So when we see someone else, like I was saying earlier, someone's rejoicing, something good is happening. We've got to make up something that's happening really good in our lives just so we can feel even, right? We feel like the balances uh, are, are even for us. But um, it's, just, it's just a sick place to be, right? I mean, think about that. You, know, you can't rejoice with your fellow believers. And so um, this is kind of what's happening here. And so um, Basically, what, what he's trying to get at is that, and like I said at the beginning, uh, and I was hinting towards this, is there's got to be a change that happens in us. And, and I would say, if you are a believer, this has happened. I don't think there's room where you could say, I'm a believer and feel zero compassion for people. I'm a believer and I find zero joy in other people's joys, only sadness, right? Um, I just don't think that's true. Now, I think there's different levels of maturity in this. I think that some people will be a lot stronger in other areas than we are, but I think we're growing in it none the less. And so Paul is just pointing, be aware of that. Think about it, right? I mean, like, um, we are on probably autopilot a lot of the time. Not that excuse us, but we are on autopilot to think of our needs first and to live our lives in such a way um, where we're doing this. I would say that majority of why we're struggling in marriage, why we're struggling to be good parents, why we're struggling to be the body of Christ, is that we can't help but put our interests first. And so I think there is a joy in making a habit of constantly thinking about this, looking out for this, being at war against this tendency that we have to self-promote and looking to promote others. We should make a practice of that. I think the more we do it, the more joy we will get and the less we will think about ourselves. Just like C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? It's just the forgetfulness that we have because of Christ, which is my next point. Uh, verse 5 and on, he gives the command, but then he gives the, 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 the how behind the command. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of his servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So my last point is that the gospel frees us from our self-centeredness and gives us the humility of Christ. Paul says, consider others, others' needs and interests first, and you can have this mind among you because it's yours in Christ Jesus, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He is God, right? And he didn't count that as something to be held onto and tightly grasped, but rather... He became a servant and he died on the cross for us. So this frees us to be humble. 
Where we are focused on promoting self, he is focused on glorifying God. Where we are motivated by selfish ambition, he is motivated by true compassion for others and once again the joy of glorifying his Father. Where we lack compassion for the members that are suffering, he deeply cares for and comforts them. Where we are disappointed that another member is honored, he in humility rejoices in the honoring of the saints, though he deserves all the glory and honor, and we deserve none of it, right? He is the fulfillment of what we're talking about being to one another. And so the beauty is that in our failures, because we will fail, Christ doesn't fail. He has perfection in this area. And so where we fail, Christ does that for the body. Christ is the one really doing this for the body, right? He's celebrating with us, and, and he is caring for us, but he's doing that through us. So I'm not saying this, this should make us be easy about failing in this, but this definitely, like Christ is doing it. Whether we do it or not, it's going to happen for the believers. He's going to build his church, but we will fail. And so we will be motivated by selfish ambition, and we will fail to truly care for people and to celebrate God's goodness in other people's lives, but he has not failed. He has given us his perfection and bore our imperfections on the cross. Jesus, once again, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, became a servant, and died. This frees us from the bondage to promote self. And although we will continue to fail, which is why the Bible tells us to forgive others as God in Christ forgave us. Amen. We can truly begin to walk in that same humility that we have in Christ and joyfully care for his body and celebrate his goodness. So because God has done that for us and because he um, is the one that has done it perfectly for us, we now can actually walk in obedience here. I'm not saying we'll be perfected, but because we have this mind, we can share the mind of Christ and we can walk in the same humility that he walked in to a degree. And that's an awesome thing. John Piper said this, he said, in talking about this mutual bond that we have with believers, he said, the mutual bond that Christians have with Christ unites us in a profound and eternal relationship of love that should express itself in joyful and affectionate service for each other's good. And so this bond that we have in the gospel of Christ um, should help us to forgive one another. And the reason why, I, one of the reasons I want to bring this up is because I feel like there's a lot of people that uh, this has not been your experience in church. <laughs> Maybe not in this church, right? Maybe not in your home group. This has not been your experience. You're like, man, I see that and I love that, but that has not been my home group. My home group's been very selfish, very self-promoting, very this, very that. We hardly meet together, we, whatever. Whatever your complaint might be, I would say, forgive one another, just as God in Christ forgave you, right? Peter asked Jesus, how often should we forgive someone? Seven times? And Jesus says, how about 70 times seven? Right? You always forgive. There's no excuse out of that one. You forgive every time. Um, and so, may we be a community that is marked by our devotion to caring for one another, even when we fail, um, and celebrating the goodness of God together, because we have much to celebrate together. We have much joy to have. So, um, I would love to celebrate the gospel together today in the form of communion. Um, and so at Providence, we, we do this every week. Um, we do this every week because we believe that the Lord's Supper and the tradition that he gave us is vitally important to our spiritual growth and our belief in the gospel. Um, so as Christians, this is a time when we remember the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf in the gospel and are actually strengthened by him in our faith and in our joy. Um, and so I just want to encourage you as believers this morning to
to embrace that, to embrace the gospel that's been preached to us this morning, that we've read in the text of God's uh, just uh, humble love that he has poured out on us and dying for us in our place, and remember the exalted uh, risen Christ. Um, we're going to have some prayer partners on the side that will love to pray with you when you come up and take communion. Like um, You can go immediately over there. If you just want to go immediately over there, right when we uh, come and take, you can and get prayer. It's so important that when we're struggling, we confess one to another, right? We're healed. And so go get prayer for what you need. Um, and I would just say, as a non-believer in the room, uh, we just say, don't come up here uh, and partake because really you're going to be trying to celebrate something that you don't believe in. You're going to be trying to be strengthened in something that you don't believe in. And so uh, we just believe that this is not for you. We would rather encourage you to consider Christ. Consider the offer that is freely offered today to embrace him, to be saved from your sin, uh, and, and to, to have Christ as your own, right? Um, so consider that. We have a prayer of belief on the screen. We by no means believe that this saves you. We just, um, we think that if there's some things going in your heart. It is good to have some guidance of how in the world do I express this to God. And so uh, you should pray along with that. Consider that. If you have any questions about that or you have actually prayed this prayer, I would encourage you once again, go to the prayer partners and get some prayer. Um, so that we, we could help you and kind of walk you along in this. Um, so if you guys would stand, I just want to read 1 Corinthians 11 for us. And this is Paul, and starting verse uh, 23, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's, let's pray together. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you that we get to be a part of your body. And that God, in our failings to be your body, you have loved us with uh, unbelievable love. And so, God, thank you for that. I pray that you would heal some of the wounds that we may have had in community, God, and you would help Providence Community Church to be a people that look like this, that look like we've actually been marked and shaped by your gospel. As we partake in communion right now, may it be a sweet reminder, and may it strengthen our faith in what you have done for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus.